here with what was supposed to be the Selection Sunday reaction episode of the High Motor Podcast. Instead, it's the mass cancellation reaction episode of the High Motor Podcast. And, and we're going to uh, we're gonna talk about toilet paper here in a little bit. Also going to try to talk about some things that aren't the main headlines across college basketball after the cancellation of conference tournaments, the NCAA tournament, uh, some of the lesser talked about impact that this is having. But first on the High Motor Podcast, Rick Patino is back in college basketball, and I have Nick Coffey of the Cardinal Connect and 790 KRD Radio in Louisville to break this down. And Nick, first, we're, we're not even three years removed from Patino's departure. Are you surprised that he's back in college basketball this soon? Yes and no. I mean, I, right before you and I connected, I'm thinking, if you would have told me three years ago that Rick Pitino was the head basketball coach at Iona, I, I don't even, I, I would have I would have had a really tough time putting the puzzle pieces together as to how we got there. However, uh, w- w- Iona is a, is a program that is connected to Rick with his coaching tree and whatnot. And I just think it, it, would, it was going to take a program of that stature to take, to take the risk because it is a risk. Um, but Given what all, you know, Rick Pitino clearly was one of the, he was, no, he wasn't one of, he was the main figure in the entire scandal that, as, as we said, the day it all happened, rocked college basketball. And certainly he was fired from Louisville. Uh, and he probably should have been fired before then, given what, what transpired after the other scandals that, uh, that, that did take place. But to answer your question, uh, as we are today, I'm not that surprised because I just thought eventually there'd be a program of Iona's caliber that might say, you know what, we're going to just live with whatever comes with this because we need a high-profile coach. When you say risk there, I mean, what specifically are you referring to? Are you saying you know, a public image risk, a PR risk? Do you think that maybe a, a suspension could come down, another incident could happen? What specifically risk are you referring to? So the risk I'm referring to is that there has been zero – I mean, you, the University of Louisville has still yet to receive a notice of allegations from the Brian Bowen situation. And there are at least five or six schools that have received notice of allegations in regards to the FBI, Adidas, shoe company scandal. It's really tough to to label that thing overall because it's so complex. But to to go back a little bit here, the word in Louisville was that Rhode Island was very close to hiring Rick Pitino last year. And they were told by the NCAA that you can, if you want, but we don't know what's going to come. We may, we may end up telling you after you've already hired him that he has a three-year show clause, a five-year show clause, a 10-year show clause. You just don't know. So Rick Pitino has still yet to be university of Louisville and Rick Pitino directly and his assistant coaches and everybody involved with the program at that time have yet to really get any kind of punishment or even word that, that punishment's coming. And it is, Louisville will eventually, the University of Louisville will eventually get a notice of allegations, but we just have no clue where it goes from there. And I think with Rick Pitino, in, in no way, and, I, and I'm going to be careful here because in no way am I trying to say Rick Pitino is a squeaky clean coach because he will have plenty and he already has plenty of situations where he can say, how did I know? How could I have known? But regardless, it doesn't matter. In fact, the worst thing for Rick Pitino is the evidence that shows that he didn't know because it shows how could you not know what's going on with your program? So I know I'm long-winded here, 
but with, with, with the entire situation with Brian Bowen, I don't think people realize Louisville has yet to have any kind of – and the investigation is ongoing. We know the NCAA's been in town in Louisville, but Iowa is hiring a guy that within a matter of, of, of months could be hit with a, no, with, with a show clause, which basically says you hired a coach that we are telling you you cannot employ. What is your your personal opinion here? I don't even want your professional opinion. What's your personal opinion? Do you think that Patino does deserve another shot in college basketball? I will say this. I think Rick Patino uh, is absolutely guilty of either wanting to not know or not knowing or maybe being directly involved. But what I think really changed for Rick Patino is that after he was fired, effectively, and this the story became what it was. Think about months down the road. You had more evidence coming out through a through a, through an FBI trial. It wasn't as if the you know the NCAA has been kind of setting back. And as these trials went on, you heard more and more evidence about other programs being involved, other coaches being directly involved. So to answer your question, I think Rick Pitino, in the grand scheme of things, there's been enough that's transpired, and I'm talking. From the the and, and I don't even know if people will know what I'm referring to here, but the Katina Powell Andre McGee scandal, that alone was enough to fire him, and they did not do that, and that led to him once again having either himself or assistant coaches. Clearly, something was not they were not doing their job up to what was being they were they were they were doing things that were wrong. So, I still think he is certainly a guy that if you told me straight up we can't hire him. I would not look at you sideways. I would understand that. But other coaches throughout this entire investigation with the FBI documentation, the FBI testimonials that have come out, other coaches look dirtier than him. And that doesn't make him look any better necessarily. But if Bill if if, if, if Bill Self and Will Wade can still have a job, Mark Gottfried, who ended up bouncing back and ended up at, uh, I believe, UC Riverside or one of those schools on the West Northridge, Coast. Northridge, yeah, Northridge. Yes, yeah. Northridge, yeah. So if those guys can be employed, Rick Pitino can be employed. That doesn't mean that I'm saying he's innocent and he's a victim because he'll tell you he's a victim in the whole thing. But if those guys can still be employed, I think Rick Pitino can as well. But again, disclaimer, I am not at all saying Rick Pitino was a victim or he was – you know, he was uh, accused of something that didn't happen. Clearly, some awful things. And again, with Rick, it's not just about the Brian Bowie thing. Look at what happened with uh, with Katina Powell, Andre McGee, the prostitution thing. I mean, clearly, if anybody came, came to you, and you know this, and said, we can't hire Rick Pitino, you wouldn't really question him because it makes sense. But again, other coaches have have kept their jobs, and I think that that alone makes him more hireable. But what's crazy is that Iona, and they know this, they're not idiots. There are people there that have a brain that know what's going on. They're just taking a risk and saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to live with having a guy who could eventually get us in some trouble, but he's a high-profile name. And say what you want about Rick Pitino. Say what you want about how it was done. He's a damn good coach. What is the, the feeling there in Louisville about Patino. I mean, is it still, is it anger? You know, what has, has Chris Max two years done to, to any feelings about Patino and where is that kind of settled while they still wait for that notice of allegations? So with Rick Patino, he got, uh, and I shouldn't say it this way, but I was going to say he got lucky, but he doesn't care. But with Louisville having a pretty good early start with Chris Mack, that's just natural for fans to not be angry. Hey, we haven't been gutted yet. With Rick Pitino, he, he, and I don't even know if this was big news nationally, but Rick Pitino was fighting for money from the university when everything happened, claiming that he was owed and they should not have been able to fire him and, they, and that he was owed his contract. And then when it got to 
towards the end, he decided he's going to drop his lawsuit. So that, in a weird way, didn't make him popular among the fan base, but it did make it to where they, hey, he's going to not fight us for money. That's at least, I guess, a step in the right direction. But what I've been saying for months now is that Rick Pitino's legacy at Louisville is literally going to be determined by what happens with this next investigation. If the program ends up sitting out two tournaments, which could happen, I'm not predicting that, but it could happen. It wouldn't be a shock. And Louisville fans are sitting there thinking, gosh, we have a good team. We've been good to the scholarships. We can't go to the tournament. When they're, ang- when they're angry, they're going to blame him. And he's going to be just the guy that they, that they think of, and they, they think they blame him specifically. But if Louisville somehow, and I don't predict this, but if they somehow were to maybe get a reduction of scholarships, maybe get reduction of recruiting ability, and Louisville still has success under Mac, then I think fans wouldn't ever love and embrace Rick, but they wouldn't be as angry. So, you know, right now it's kind of it, – it, 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 in, in the last couple of years, the last couple of seasons, I should say, it's been kind of tricky because Louisville expected to really go through a rough time of transitioning post-Patino. And Chris Mack, again, we don't know what the heck's going to – would have happened with this current season that is now, you know, over. But Mack having early success just led to the, the city and the fans not being as bitter towards Rick. But I'm telling you this, the day – that they get a notice of allegations and then time goes on and they get a punishment. If it's severe, they're going to blame Rick and he may be somebody that they never want to see in this town again. Uh, but it, it, what makes it weird though, is, and you know, this Rick Pitino brought Louisville back from, from, I don't want to say the dead, but they needed a coach to really revive the program when Denny Crump's run came to an end. And Rick Pitino did that. And it may, you know, his run there again, obviously nationally people think of scandal. They think of, all the awful things and you can't blame them because those, I mean, prostitution in a college dorm is something that some, is, is newsworthy and it's just something you don't forget. But overall the program brought back was brought back to life with him being the coach. So it's, it, it, I think you could go houses down in a neighborhood, five houses, and you'd get all kinds of varying opinions on Rick Pitino. But I just think ultimately long-term, as far as how fans feel about him, it will all come down to, what kind of punishment it's handed down for the Brian Bowen scandal. Last thing, I want one prediction from you here. So it's rumored to be a five-year deal for Patino at Iona. If you had to bet the house on it, will Rick Patino be Iona head coach? From what all you know about Patino and, and his decision-making and all that, will he be Iona head coach five years from today? No. I would say no because of two big things. One, I think if he does really well there, he'll get another job that's better. I do. But or, or or the other side of that coin is it'll come down to where he's basically been tainted by the and I'm and again the last thing I ever want to do is sound insensitive towards Rick Pitino. Whatever happens and whatever comes his way, it's his fault and he deserves it. But if the NCAA later tells Iona that you've you've employed a coach that we simply have decided deserves a, a show cause of this long, or or I mean to go off of the Condoleezza Rice. Um, comments from when that college basketball commission was formed. And I don't think they would do this because again, other coaches have looked worse than Rick after this whole thing happened. But if they wanted to, they could get, they could say lifetime ban, because as you know, you cover college sports and you do it very well. Instead of like do whatever the hell they want. Right. So if they wanted to say lifetime ban, well, that means I don't want to can't employ him. So five years from now, I think there's no chance he's Iona's coach because of one, it just it got to the point where he did well and he moved on and bygones be bygones, or he just became a coach that was simply unemployable under the NCAA umbrella.
thinking 67 years old, if, I mean, even if it's a three, four, five year show cause, whatever, not only are you sitting out that time, all of a sudden Rick Pitino, we're talking he's 71, 72, uh, 73 years old. All right, Nick Coffee, 790 KRD Radio and online at thecardinalconnect.com. Hey, Nick, thanks for dropping by. I uh, really appreciate the time this weekend. I appreciate you having me on. Keep up the great work. You do a great job. Chase Kitty of Richmond VA back on the show this week. And like I said in the open, we're going to touch on some things that I don't think are getting as much attention as they should be in the wake of the these mass cancellations across college sports. And I feel like I don't even need to do this, but I'm still going to say just because somebody will probably get on us on Twitter or somewhere by suggesting that what we're talking about matters at all in the big picture. Clearly what we're talking about is the the smallest, most relevant piece of the pie. So I'm just to put that out there now so that somebody doesn't come after it. And during these conversations, we're not constantly saying caveats of where our attention should be. But anyways, first, I feel like we need to talk about toilet paper because never has toilet paper been in the spotlight like it has over the last what week, 10 days, two weeks, foreseeable future. And Chase, correct me if I'm wrong on this. We talked about this a little bit before we hopped on here. The general feeling surrounding toilet paper shortages over the last week is yes toilet paper is important yes i want tp at all times yes i'll grab an extra pack this week when i go to the grocery store but holy shit why is everyone flocking to the toilet paper that seems to be the general feeling and my question for you is i want to start with this because i think this kind of leads to the toilet paper conversation how many times in your adult life have you been in a a precarious situation without toilet paper. Like it's happening. You are pooping right now. Whether like you're driving in the car, you're on the toilet in the woods. How many times in your adult life have you been put in the situation of poop with no TP? I would definitely say more than the average person. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm in the 1% of people who have been in a poop situation without toilet paper. And even though you've been in that situation so many times, there's still... Yes, it's funny after the fact. We can sit here and talk about poop stories all day and laugh our asses off. But in the moment, even though that you're a veteran, it's still not funny when it happens. Yeah, having served multiple tours in the no TP wars, uh, I got to tell you, you should always try to have toilet paper on you. I am so like vetted up. Like I'm, I'm such an experienced no TP crisis management guy. I keep toilet paper in my car. Just in case. And even with that experience, if it happened again tomorrow, even though if you, let's say you didn't have that in your car, it would still not be fun. It would still be scary in that moment, even with all the experience you have. Yeah. I mean, you can always, you can always go for like foliage in a pinch, but, uh, you know, in a pinch, ha, I didn't even mean to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you want to have, you want to have toilet paper, like, that's that's kind of my point is and I, I I led you with that question because I've been in that situation a handful of times, but I feel like you've been in it more and you're in the one percent. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably in the, the 20 to 25 percent range. And I wanted to lead with that because if you were on a toilet paper, whether or not you're you're pooping once a day or twice a day or three times a day or four times a day. Add up all of those times for several weeks and think about how shitty it is to have this happened to you once a year mm, and now shitty. we're talking about like every three hours so why is there this shock and this outrage over if i'm making a doomsday bunker toilet paper is number one on my list yeah 
I am a little bit surprised, though, how, like, 0 to 60 it went. I, I think that's been the comment more so than, like, hey, how come everybody's buying toilet paper? That's weird, right? Uh, it, it is kind of shocking to walk. Like, I, wa- I went grocery shopping yesterday, and not because I was like, oh, wow, better, better batten down the hatches. Like, I was out of groceries and needed to go grocery shopping. You know, the normal reason you go grocery shopping. And I... I walked into Kroger and the just the first aisle happens to be the toiletries aisle. Absolutely zero toilet paper in a Kroger in downtown Richmond. But did you tweet about it? Because apparently I did not tweet about it. I thought about it and then decided I'd just continue living my life. People complain about airlines as if you're the only one that's ever fly before and you're the only one that's had a fucking delay before. And now everybody is posting, where's all the toilet paper? Why is everyone going after the toilet paper? You're not the only one. I sat on the tarmac for over 12 minutes before my plane took off. What are we going to do about this? I have 4,000 followers. That's why the confusion confuses me. Because I feel like you could run out of shampoo and that sucks, but no biggie. Like your food supply could get really low, but the human body can still survive on small amounts of food. Toilet paper... That's the one that scares me, and that's why I'm not sure why there's so much shock. I mean, because I don't think these people are going there, and those mega packs of toilet paper are huge. Unless you're backing a U-Haul up like that guy in Tennessee with the cleaning supplies and the sanitizer, you're not buying more than, like, one or two packs. So, like, how? why is this so shocking that somebody else went and bought 70 rolls of toilet paper one of those mega packs you obviously had the same idea you're in the toilet paper aisle for a reason you're looking for toilet paper and all the other 300 million people in the united states thought the same thing so why is everybody so shocked about this what is your upper limit on toilet paper like at how many rolls would you be like okay i now have like this is like i don't need this much well in in this, in this case i usually in everyday life, I'll just buy the mega pack. And when it's down to, I don't know, like 10 rolls, I'll buy another mega pack. And I can't remember what's in it. It's a ton of rolls. It's like 50 rolls or something like that. In this case, last week, I think it was a week ago today, when people started talking about toilet paper, we I had a mega pack in there and then like half of a mega pack. And I was like, well, you know, I don't want to go to Target again. I'm just going to throw some in the Target cart online and get it delivered. Should be here in a few days. It's now gotten back ordered like four times and it's pushed out two weeks. And I haven't even opened the one mega pack that I have, but I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm a little bit worried. And all of those, those memories and nightmares of those times when I didn't have toilet paper. And again, we can sit here and talk about them and they're hysterical now. But I feel like in five years when, when we talk about if there is a shortage and I'm talking to my kid or something like the toilet paper shortage of 2020, the stories won't be nearly as funny. So at least when you're like you're shitting in the woods or you're pulling over on the side of the road and using Kleenex or foliage or whatever, those stories are hysterical like a day later and years later. this There's no fun factor here for me where I can say, you know what, this sucks now, but five years down the road, I'm going to laugh at it. I'm not going to laugh at five years down the road remembering having to wipe my ass with, with toilet paper or the shower or whatever three times a day. There, there's no funny factor in that. Do you want my best poop story? Sure. 2014 ALCS Royals Orioles. We got there at like 1030 in the morning. It's a Saturday. It's college football season. Our plan is to walk from Camden to Fed Hill, which is sort of the one of the nicer parts of Baltimore. We're going to go to a West Virginia ga- uh, bar, watch the West Virginia football game. I'm with a friend of mine who's an alum, 
And then we're going to walk back to Camden Yards, catch the game at 7.30. We got to walk like 30 blocks. We're like 20 blocks in. We are in the absolute not nice part of Baltimore. There are no, uh, there, there are no shops. There's nothing. And I am about to shit my brains out. Like, it's really bad. What type of situation is it? Is it something where you you knew what you ate? Or is it just, you know, it's been 12 hours since got you got up and I started drinking at 8 o'clock in the morning. Right. No food. And then, like, threw some, like, I think we might have had, like, a gas station chicken or, like, a so gas it's, station Yeah, it, I was going to say that. So it's that gas station percolating, marinating type of situation. Yeah, it, was, right. it was not a good situation. And my I was like, we have 12 blocks to go. There's absolutely nowhere for me to go inside. And my friend who I'm walking with, like, I was prepared to just, like, drop trowel middle of downtown Baltimore. I don't care. Like, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened in downtown Baltimore. Um, my friend is like, no, you can't go out here. You need to just shit your pants and walk around in it all day. And I was like, dude, what? No, that's so much worse. Like, what are At you talking about? At the very least, you would take your pants off and use them to clean up and then somehow find it. You have a better chance of finding another pair of pants if you use your <laughs> pants as toilet paper, right? That's just math. That's odds. So, well, we, we walked under. We were right next to M&T Bank uh, Stadium where the Ravens play. So we walk under this underpass, and I'm like, okay, dude, this we're, we're out of time here. So I, like, go sort of next to the underpass like right next to I-95 and there's just like cars going by at 70 miles an hour and I'm just right there like taking care of business. Like grab some leaves that are growing in like the middle of a railroad. Use that to like, you know, do what I got to do downstairs. And then uh, it was like next to a parking lot and it had a no dumping sign, which I'm sure meant for it was meant for trash. But, you know, you can't make that part up. So, yeah, that was my that was my ALCS poop story. At what point during that situation did you ever think of I guess what was your scare level on a, on a level of 1 to 10 and at any point did you think of like we just talked about this sucks right now but you know in 6 hours when I'm blasted it's going to be really oh, damn I thought funny. it was funny then. I was like right. this is the stuff that would only happen to me. This doesn't happen right. to anybody else. Anyways, buy toilet paper. Stockpile it. I don't care what people do. Carry it with you in Baltimore. So the interesting pieces of the this cancellation of sports, specifically college basketball, and we'll kind of just generally talk spring sports, winter sports, and so those are, are getting attention that they usually don't get with the NCAA. And obviously the, the big piece is the cancellation of the tournament. We're not going to sit here and just react to that because people have been reacting to that for the last three days, and there's nothing really more to be said. I'm still surprised that this roster management piece isn't getting talked about enough, roster sizes, recruiting, red shirts, even the coaching carousel, and starting with roster management. I think this really this piece is really interesting. It seems like, and there wasn't, we were just talking about before we hopped on, the NCAA panel, I think it was, we're, t- we're recording here on Saturday night, I think it was on Friday or maybe Thursday afternoon, there seems to be widespread support for spring athletes getting that year of eligibility back, whether or not you've started your season, no matter how many games you've played, anyone that's classified as a spring sport will get the eligibility back. There are some questions about winter sports. I personally don't know why any winter sport, for example, men's or women's basketball, would get any sort of eligibility back. Yes, missing the NCAA tournament, missing your conference tournament sucks. I don't get why there would be any eligibility redshirt things there. So let's just keep this to the spring sports. I really don't see the NCAA just granting an extra year of eligibility to men's basketball players because they missed one, two, three, four games in conference tournament, one, two, three, four games in the NCAA tournament. 
And and that's the best case scenario, right? Like most of the teams are not missing eight remaining games. Exactly. So then what is, how do we fix this? Because if it depends on what sport, but generally coaches, and this is after recruiting, I'm not exactly sure about spring sports, recruiting, signing days, deadlines, all things like that. But we're sitting here now mid-March where a lot of student athletes are going to enroll here if they haven't already for some of those fall sports and winter sports. They're going to enroll here in the next two months. How are we going to rectify this roster management situation where a lot of these teams, and I can't remember what baseball scholarships are now. I think as of a few years ago, they only had like 11 or 12 scholarships per team. You have your recruiting classes come in. You have some transfers that have already committed to your program. You've been recruiting all these players for so long. And now suddenly, depending on what team it is, you might have four, five, six, 10, 12, 15 guys, whatever, coming back to your team. So is the only answer there to to expand rosters? And if so, what how how does this get how does this get worked out here? How long are we feeling this? I want a lot of answers from you that you don't have. Well, no, I, I think I have the the a general formation of of an idea. Now I haven't done the math on it and I don't know the money on it. I'm sure there are repercussions that go beyond what I can think of here. But if they really want to sort of keep in line with this idea that we're not burning any spring athletes eligibility, I think one thing they could do is raise temporarily raise the scholarship cap and the, the roster caps for the next couple of years, sort of, I hesitate to say this because I feel like some schools might get a little crazy with it, but maybe you suspend Title IX for a couple years and you worry a little less about the balance and the the equity of everything. We know that's not going to happen. I'm pretty sure it's not, no. But I think this is a fix, right? If next year you are allowed 120% of your scholarship, your regular scholarship cap. So no matter how many seniors or whatever are coming back for that year that they lost, you, you're just saying bump it that number. And if you if you want to fill those spots for next year, that if you only had two seniors, but you have 12 extra spots, and if you want to bump that up to the 120%, you can for that year. But after that grace period, you're done. What I was going to say is next year you're at 120% maybe. And then two years from now, you're at 115%. And a full recruitment cycle four years from now, we're back at the regular 100% cap and everything's back in balance. And you can sort of ease it back down that way. I think there's a way you could play with the numbers to make some sort of structure like that work. Where does that scholarship money come from? And this is such a huge conversation because Division One athletics are so wildly imbalanced across across every conference, across every team. But where... Does that? I mean, let's say a hundred. Let's say there are a hundred scholarships for spring athletes for one of the larger athletic departments in the country, like a USC, a Texas, Ohio State, something like that. And let's say very conservatively that a full scholarship, room and board, everything is going to cost the athletic department thirty thousand dollars per year. And I think that is extremely low. But let's say a hundred scholarships, thirty thousand dollars a year. That's three million dollars. That quite frankly probably isn't in the budget for even some of these big schools that have bigger budgets. Their budgets are really tight, and we're not even talking about like a Murray State, for example, or like a UNC Asheville or something like that where your conference budget is a fraction of what the Big 12 is. Your budget might only be 10 or $12 million, whereas Ohio State's or Minnesota or Texas or whatever is going to be 100 plus. How does that—I I guess what I'm saying is that 
I could see a program like Texas being fine with this if they can figure out a way in their budget. But then going back to Murray State, I could see them saying like, yeah, we would love to add these scholarships, but we just can't. Is that kind of just on them to make that decision then? It's almost two separate conversations, right? On on an administrative level from the NCAA's perspective, you are allowing teams and schools to temporarily break the rules to be fair to the the kids that would have been seniors this year. When it comes to school by school, now you have to make a decision on what your budget can can do and what you are willing to do with with your teams. How much money do you how much extra money do you have to actually do some of these things? Maybe you know, if you're uh, if, uh, Loyola and your women's lacrosse program is really good and you're willing to sink an extra $50,000 in scholarships for one or two years to sustain the momentum of your maybe flagship athletics program, you do that. But everybody else, you say, hey, we're sorry, you know, this is such a crappy situation, but, you know, we don't have all the money in the world. Uh, and you you go about it from that extent. I, I think the NCAA should do something that allows schools the flexibility to empower seniors to do whatever they feel like is best for them. But that doesn't necessarily mean the schools have to capitalize on it. I think what you're noticing, and I think it's a fair point, is a system like this would benefit schools with bigger budgets, and you are helping the rich get even richer. But uh, is so how speak. big of a, a problem is that ultimately? Because, I mean, let's be honest, the, the NCAA loss, the, the media revenue alone for this tournament, I think is $900 million or almost a billion dollars, and we'll see how that all shakes out with insurance and all that stuff. But let's assume they lost most of that. Going into next year, the next academic year, because that money pays for not just men's basketball and just goes to these member institutions, that pays for, like you said, women's lacrosse and all of these other schools that just don't have the money and they're relying on that extra $500,000 million from the basketball fund, it seems like maybe the number one priority going into next year is, obviously they're not going to say, well, we can't get the NCAA tournament canceled again because it's out of their, their control. But going into next year, it's like, God, we we need this money. And you're taking, in like what you said, if, if Loyola Chicago has a women's lacrosse team and they want to invest money in that, you're, you're taking a sport that is – already imbalanced and you're removing one of the competitive balance mechanisms in scholarships and just saying yeah this sucks but let's be honest guys this is about money right now and if if your program wants to do it and your university wants to invest in whatever program for the next you said 120 percent of scholarships this year down to 115 110 105 whatever like a four-year plan you can do that. It sucks, but if you want to do that and we're giving these opportunities to student-athletes, which the NCAA is supposedly about, yeah, I think that it would be in line with the, with the mission and, and the goals of the NCAA. I just I don't know how that would work, and wouldn't that take – I mean, they haven't even ruled on this, and we're sitting here talking on our March 14th. Let's say they even get it out in the next week. How, how long does it take to for schools and programs to make these roster decisions – and then the the programs to say, can we figure out where to get $3 million or $250,000? Uh, I mean, they're all good questions. I think what we're going to see is, I think the NCAA is going to collaborate with school administrators and coaches in sort of an unprecedented way. And they're going to get a lot of people together and say, okay, 
what works best for you guys? What works best for your athletes? What do you guys want to do? I don't think this is going to be handed down from on high and everybody deals with it. So a conference by conference thing almost. Are you saying let's put the Ohio Valley in the same room as the Big 12? Or I'm, I'm saying say- I think the NCAA is going to get a lot of administrators together and try to take the pulse of the room, which is maybe something they they are accused, and maybe rightfully so, of not doing very often. I think they're going to try to be a lot more collaborative here. Uh, but but I don't know what it's going to be. You know, I, it could be a few weeks. They have to figure out what. I mean, it's an unprecedented kind of situation. So I think they really have to get together and figure out what's best for the schools, what's best for the athletes, what's best for everybody involved, and hopefully they they can come to some sort of uh, agreement that's that's fair and understands the money complications while also honoring the, I mean, insane investments that a lot of these athletes have put in and they deserve to have a senior season. Another piece of this that, I mean, the coaching carousel always gets attention in in football and men's basketball. It's always going to get attention, but we're sitting here two days removed from effectively the season ending. And yes, it was different than last year when Virginia and Texas Tech played and the season officially ended. But in terms of the coaching carousel, I think right now 13 jobs have opened. And in the last two years, we've had 58 and 55 jobs open. So what is that, 113 jobs over the last two years combined? And I know there's still time to kind of have this shake out and stuff, but we haven't seen any of the big dominoes drop. And we we went into this, we've talked about this before, went into this this coaching carousel saying, you know, maybe if if Texas doesn't move on from Shaka Smart, what's going to be the job out there? There there didn't seem like there were going to be premier jobs unless a coach goes to the NBA, unless a coach retires, something like that. And we haven't seen that. It's just been like the Wyomings and Iona and stuff like that. And I just you know talked about uh, Rick Pitino with Nick Coffey there. And there hasn't been the premier job that's open. So I don't think that the coaching carousel is getting that much attention. And right now, again, I think there are 13 jobs that have opened. And I, the kind of the, the reason that a lot of people seem to think, and this seems fair, is because of the coronavirus. Are, are, are coaches not getting fired because teams don't know what to do? Suddenly you have a situation where... You can't say, well, our coach missed the NCAA tournament for the fifth time in six years, or our coach didn't reach the semifinals of the conference tournament. You don't have that extra thing to weigh. But then also, there seems to be some sort of, I don't even know how to say it, civility, humanity piece. Just like I was telling you, I think after, so Grand Canyon was the first program to fire a coach after the the cancellation of the NCAA tournament. Thursday night, I think it was like four hours after the, the tournament was canceled, they announced the firing of Dan Marley, and a couple people commented that it was tasteless, um, it, it was numb to the situation. I don't understand how that is tasteless at all. If, if you need to make a change, you need to make a change. So if you, Chase Kitty, were an athletics director or university president at pick whatever school you want, mid-major, high-major, and you were thinking about, let's just say Boston College, Jim Christian, you were thinking about making a change, you were 90% sure that it was going to happen after the season, now with all these cancellations, with the coronavirus, would you say I'm not going to do it? Would this at all impact your decision making? I don't think so. I, I The only reason I feel like it would is if somehow I felt like the combination of firing coach and having the unknown variable, the unknown future of coronavirus and how this is going to affect everything, uh, if I felt like those two th- forces were going to combine and sort of multiply the chaos around my program. But if it's just a matter of like, okay, we know we need to make a change, make the change. Like, wh- there's no, 
why is it insensitive to get rid of your coach because with with this other stuff going on? I don't see how they're connected. So it it seems like if if we are if this was fast forwarded three or four weeks and the entire nation was on lockdown, like literally lockdown, we weren't going anywhere. Everybody was quarantined. Maybe then, and I think I, I agree with where I'm going here, is that maybe then you could see a program saying, hey, let's wait this out. We don't even know what's going on with roster management, recruiting, and all that stuff. Let's just wait this out. Then maybe you could see it, it being tasteless if you're throwing a guy out of, out of his quarantine to the Wolves. Yeah, I, it's just it's it's kind of weird to me. I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to see why why it matters. I, I, I guess I can see how it would affect your decision-making and what I just said. If you, I mean, yeah, NCAA tournaments completely alter the coaching carousel. We talked about Andy Enfield and USC a few weeks ago. If Andy Enfield doesn't make that run, he's not going to USC. For all we know, he might have still been at Florida Gulf Coast, and he might have been fired by now, or he might have gone to a different job by now. How much the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament affect the coaching carousel is huge, but just because we don't have that, I guess I'm not surprised that we only have 13. I would have guessed the number would have been like 20 to 25 right now. So I am surprised that it's lower than that. It's half of that. But I'm still surprised that, and I know like Minnesota came out and said that, or through a source or whoever, said that like Richard Pitino wasn't a comeback. Same for, um, same for Brad, Brad Brownell at Clemson. So yes, like teams are making decisions. And I don't know if Minnesota would have fired Richard Pitino if this coronavirus wasn't spreading. But it does seem like programs are hesitant to to pull the plug, and I don't I don't know why. I have no idea why. I'll tell you one interesting factor of of this if you sort of extend it logically uh, to the next place, which is if teams are holding back on decisions they probably would make this year. In 2021, it is going to be a bloodletting, right? Like a hundred coaching teams. <laughs> it's going to be just a massacre. All these guys that should not be coaching teams right now, they're going to go like 14 and 18, and they're going to maybe it'll just be sped up. We don't really see that. Mac UNC Wilmington change coaches. Evansville is a little bit different, but maybe come December and January, more programs will pull the plug because we know that God, there might be 75 jobs open. Let's get after it. A lot of retread back. happening next off season. A lot of like people swapping coaches and yeah, it's going to be wild. All right, let's call it. I don't know what uh, we're going to talk about here for the next whatever weeks, but we will be here regularly with guests. So guessing some people are, are suddenly flush with time. So we will be back on the high motor podcast with guests, find something to help pass the time. Hopefully the NFL draft doesn't get postponed, canceled, whatever. We'll do some of that, some guests on for that, or shoot us any show ideas on Twitter at High Motor Pod. Thank you for dropping by this episode of the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, cause deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between